Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, March 29th, 2018. This will be the final episode of this crazy week for me, and we're going to turn our attention to Christ's vicarious, penal, substitutionary suffering, bleeding, dying for our sins so that we can be forgiven and live. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Yeah, that's weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine and teaching that is being fed to so many evangelicals It's not biblical, it's not what God's Word says, means, or implies, and people uh, have surrounded themselves with teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear rather than what it is that they really, truly need to hear. And that is, is that they are sinners in need of a Savior. They need to repent, be forgiven, and forgiven through the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ for our sins on the cross. Now, like I said at the very opening of the program, today this will be our last episode. We're going to turn our attention to Christ's sufferings and dying. And since Good Friday is tomorrow, I don't have the ability to fast forward and go into the future. I have yet to build an actual functioning TARDIS. We're going to go back in time to last year's Good Friday sermons, and we're going to listen to two of them without any uh, commercial interruption. Well, the first of them is uh, was delivered by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. The text was Mark chapter 15, verses 22 through 47, and the name of the sermon is At the Cross. He will read out the text, and you'll be able to follow along, and it is a good meditation on Jesus' sufferings for us, for our sins. I will then turn to uh, you know Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota, and the sermon I delivered last Good Friday. The name of it is The Carpenter's Most Satisfying Work, as we work our way through portions of the Gospel of John, chapters 18 and 19. And th- that will be our meditation for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And we hope that you find it edifying, but also by way of contrast, notice how a good exegetical proclamation of the gospel that Christ bled and died for our sins requires a pastor to pay close attention to the details of the text so that he can really, truly teach us soundly what God's Word reveals there 
regarding what Christ has accomplished for us, and it is vital that we get the details right. So without any further ado, first sermon, here's Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, the name of the sermon, At the Cross. Here we go. According to Mark chapter 15 from verse 22. Mark's Gospel chapter 15 from verse 22. And they brought him, that is Jesus, to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those that stood by when they heard that said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and of Joseph and of Salome who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went in to Pilate and asked the body of Jesus, Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, took him down and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. 
and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. And may God bless the reading of his holy word. Our text is found in the chapter from which we read Mark's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 25. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And they crucified him. We are, of course, in this present day and age, removed from this reality of crucifixion. Crucifixion as a punishment was abolished in the Roman Empire after the empire itself. The rulers, the emperors turned Christian. Crucifixion was a brutal, a horrible punishment. The aim of which was to humiliate and destroy the one being executed. It was not enough. For the person to be nailed to the cross, to be displayed there in public. But they would suffer horribly. Crucifixion compressed the ribcage, making it almost impossible to breathe. And so the one who was crucified was struggled for breath. And we see here in the account in Mark's Gospel... As in all the Gospels, the people who were gathered around there to mock, who were there to make fun of the victim. Public executions were ever like this. People came not to be, as the original idea was, impressed by the the awfulness of the punishment, but to be entertained and to enjoy the sight of somebody else dying. And we have here, first of all, those who mocked, and then you have those who mourned. And on the cross, the one who died. We have those who mocked, those who passed by, blasphemed him. They, not only was he physically numbered with the transgressors, by being crucified between two criminals, but those who passed by blasphemed him, mocked him. They numbered him in their own minds with the transgressors. Everything they say is based on the idea that Jesus' claims to be the Son of God, to be the eternal God with us, were false, that they were lies, that it was a delusion at best, and at worst, an outright imposture. There were those in the crowd who had heard that he had said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Ah, they mocked, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days. But what irony there was there. Because it was they who were destroying the temple. And it would be built again in three days because he spoke not of the physical temple in Jerusalem, but of the temple of his own body. The temple would be rebuilt in three days, but they did not understand it. Save yourself, they said, and come down from the cross 
he could not save himself. The chief priests, those who should have known better and those who knew in their hearts that he was the Christ, just the inconvenient Messiah, they joined in. He saved others himself, he cannot save. And they were right, but they were also wrong. They were wrong in the way they meant it. They meant to say, there he was, he delivered others from demons, from sickness. He even raised others from the dead. He cannot deliver himself from the cross. Not if he would save anybody else. There was that great temptation before him, save yourself. But then he could not save anybody else. And the Son of Man did not come to deliver himself, but to deliver others. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, they mock, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they lied. They would not believe. Christ had done many miracles. And it's so often the language of unbelief, of willful, wicked, sinful unbelief to say, if God does this, further thing that I say I want, then I will believe. Which is how unbelief manages to get away from the fact that so much is there, so much evidence is spread before it. And the unbeliever says, no, I don't want any of that evidence, but I will set my own test that God must pass. And yet, of course, they do it because they would not Believe They did not want to believe. And even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now Luke tells us that later on, one of those criminals, his mind, his heart was gloriously changed by God and he repented. But there they were mocking, scorning, shouting. But then there were those who mourned. And first of all, there is God who mourned. Because when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. God the Father would shut out from sinful, wicked, mocking, prying men the agonies of God the Son. We may not know. We cannot tell what pains he had to bear. God the Father will shut out those agonies that men may hear but they may not see. For what agony there is that God who is love gives up in love his beloved son to suffer and to die. Isaac Watts, the hymn writer, pictures it as the sun itself in darkness hiding and shut his glory in when God the mighty maker died for man, the creature's sin. Nature itself, we may say, mourns. Jesus cries out, 
And you notice the words he cried were, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The opening words of Psalm 22. And it's a marvellous thing that Psalm 22 was being fulfilled by these very mockers and they did not understand or see it. But the Lord's words, if any of them had any shame at all, would have brought these things to the hearts and the minds of the scribes and the priests at the very least. For indeed, King David says in Psalm 22 from verses, verse 6 to, to verse 8, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And there they were, fulfilling the very words of the psalm, when the Lord Jesus Christ cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a deep mystery into which man cannot enter. A deep mystery that Christ himself was made a curse for us, that he bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then he dies. He dies the lonely man of sorrows. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. I noted that crucifixion was a matter of slow suffocation. A man who is slowly suffocating cannot cry out with a loud voice. Someone who was crucified, they would lose the ability to speak and then slowly die. But you see, Jesus Christ yielded up his spirit to the Father. His death was voluntary. A giving of his own spirit. And so he cried out with a loud voice. As if to say. And we are told elsewhere that what he cried was. It is finished. Wonderful Greek word. Tetelestai. Finished. Completed. It is finished he cried. And gave up his spirit. His life was not taken from him. He laid it down that he might take it up again. And then it is finished, he says. He has finished the sacrifice. And then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's been noted many times that this was no ordinary veil, no ordinary curtain. We're not to think of the net curtains we might have at home. Not even to think of the solid window curtains we've got. But this was inches thick. And of course it was even taller than this building. It was so tall that no mere man could tear. It's so tall, so thick, so great. And it was indeed that the hands of God took hold of that veil and tore it in two. For the veil of the temple said this great message, no entry, 
The veil of the temple declared that man cannot come into the most holy place of God. That the throne room of God is shut off because our sins have separated us from our God. But you see the death of Christ. He takes those sins and he died for sinners. And when he died... When he died, he finished the work. He finished that taking away of sin. And so the veil, which stands for man's sin, must be torn in two to say that barrier has been taken down. And Jesus Christ himself, through his death, through his suffering, through his offering... He is the new and living way into the most holy place. And there was one man there who sensed something of this. With the sun darkened. With the earth quaking. There stood that Roman centurion, that soldier. And that soldier, that junior officer, that man. We know not what his background was, what his war service was, but that hardened man of war looked. And he no doubt had seen many people crucified, many people dying because of their opposition to Rome. And he said, truly, this man was the son of God. This man beyond all others. He is so completely different. He is a man. And yet he is the son of God. He came into the world. He was made man for us. And for our salvation. He was made man that he could offer himself upon the cross. Truly this man was the son of God. The women knew not what to think. They wept. They watched. But they knew not what had happened. They did not understand. Joseph of Arimathea came forward and asked for the body. For he loved Jesus and reverenced him. And so the body was taken down again. The centurion gives the information. He has been dead for some time. And Pilate marvels. And it was amazing, strange that he had only been on the cross a few hours and he was dead. And then the body is wrapped and laid in the tomb. Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, they said. And now the three days are begun. For three on the, and on the third day he would rise again because he was delivered up for our offences to be raised again for our justification. They crucified him, but he offered himself a sacrifice without spot or blemish. He offered himself through the eternal spirit. Unto God the Father. They crucified him. 
that he offered himself and died for truly this man not only was but is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Sermon number two is uh, working through portions of John chapters 18 and 19. The name of the sermon that I delivered last Good Friday, The Carpenter's Most Satisfying Work. Here we go. We will now read the account of the Passion of our Lord in two parts. The first part from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verse 1, through chapter 19, the first half of verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. He said to them, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and they fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and they bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask the ones who've heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong... Bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? 
Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. The Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. 
So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So we delivered him over to them to be crucified. Our gospel continues. John chapter 19, second half of verse 16. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather that this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out Blood and water. He who saw it is born witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, 
who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. In the name of Jesus. Here again, two of the verses of the hymn we just sang. Oh, sorrow, dread, our God is dead. Upon the cross extended, there his love enlivened us as his life was ended. O child of woe, who struck the blow that killed our gracious master? It was I, thy conscience cries, I have wrought disaster. Every Good Friday as we consider the sufferings of our Lord, we are again reminded of the terrible and dreadful cost of our sin, my sin. And yours. Each and every one of us, born dead in trespasses and sin, under the dominion of darkness. Each and every one of us, guilty before God. Each and every one of us, deserve to spend eternity in hell, in the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. But God. God the eternal, God the glorious, God the immutable, did the unthinkable because of his great love for you and for me. He stepped down from his throne, emptied himself, took on the form of a slave, and became obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so now we can say these weird words Our God died. Thus, the cost of our sin. My sin struck the blow. Your sin struck the blow. We together are guilty. But I don't want you to feel bad for Jesus. Like I said, this is not his funeral. Think of it this way. Jesus, the carpenter of Nazareth, is now accomplishing his greatest Project. There's a French phrase for it. I wish I knew it. But we'll just call it a masterpiece. And at the very end, he cries out these words. It is finished. He went to work that morning. And he accomplished something amazing. Something great. It's important for us to realize He did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. So let us again return to the prophet Isaiah, who hundreds, and I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, literally sounds like he's standing there at the foot of the cross with Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the wife of Clopas. 
But he wasn't there physically. Clearly, God revealed all of this to him. And we read again, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. This harkens back to the early chapters of Isaiah. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the robe of his, the train of his robe filled the temple. But this is not where Christ is today, not high and lifted up, unless you want to say that his cross, suspended between heaven and earth, is where he's high and lifted up. But that's not how Philippians reads. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. This tells us what Jesus suffered in the beatings, the punches to the face, the scourge. Anybody seeing Jesus carrying his cross to Golgotha would have said, is that a man? It was so terribly marred. His form was beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle the many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they now understand. So who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look on him, no beauty that we should desire him. Yes, that's right. Jesus was not a child star. He did not, well, experience fame and fortune the way Justin Bieber and celebrities do. He didn't have a million followers on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In fact, looking at him, you'd see nothing special. Just a young boy born to a very, very poor situation, living in an obscure town, a place called Nazareth. Nothing, no glitter, no shiny teeth, no flowing royal robes. Hmm. He had no beauty that we should desire him. And he was despised and he was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, though, he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. And here we see the great doctrine the great teaching of Scripture, the doctrine of substitution. Christ becomes the sinner, the sinless one, the spotless Lamb of God. God lays on Him our sin. And if you think about it, there was Peter in the garden trying to prevent this all from happening draws his sword, and he cuts off the ear of Malchus. Poor Malchus, he was just doing his job. There's no way to treat your neighbor. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me to drink? 
And here's the idea. Jesus was drinking a draft that we never want to put our lips to. Trust me, you don't want to drink this cup. This is the cup of the fury, of the wine, of the wrath of God. And Jesus takes this cup for us and He drinks it down to the bitter dregs. With each sip, His body convulsing. With each sip, you can hear the nails being driven into His hands and to His feet. With each sip, you can hear the taunts and the mocking. With each sip, the sky turns dark. The sun no longer shines. With each sip, you can feel the blood dripping down His back over His face. The salt of His blood stinging His eyes. And the Father can't even look at it. And turns His face away. He was wounded for our transgressions. This is what we earned. He was crushed, not for His own, but for your iniquities and mine. And the chastisement that brought us Peace was upon him. Peace. Have you watched the news lately? Doesn't seem to be a lot of peace in our world. Terrorist bombings, ISIS, raping and murdering children. Politicians at each other's throat. Everyone screaming in other people's faces. Nobody listening to anybody else. The only thing they care about is destroying those whom they disagree with. There is no peace on this earth. And the reason for this is simple. Our lack of peace with each other is caused by our rebellion against God. You see, we are the ones who instigated the hostilities. We were the ones who fired the shots that began the war. We are the ones who rebelled against God. Because we have not had peace with God, we do not have peace with each other. These are the consequences of our sin. There's no way to fix what is broken here. All the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put any of this back together again. But Jesus, crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the punishment that brings us peace with God. And as we heard last night in our Gospel text, they will know we are His followers by our love for each other. You see, we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we have peace with each other. It's because of His stripes that we have this peace and this salvation and we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And there's our problem. We have turned everyone to His own way. And what does every Hollywood movie tell us to do? Follow our hearts. Follow your heart. And I promise you, you will fall over the cliff into the fires of hell. 
Christ did not set you free to follow your heart. It's because you've been following your heart that you're in the mess that you're in. And you need this Jesus to bleed and die for you. So every one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. I'm pretty sure in all of our readings of Jesus' passion over the past few days, that Jesus is the only one who can say, Excuse me, I object. I'm innocent. And there would have been no one capable of producing any evidence whatsoever to show that Jesus was guilty. It took a kangaroo court in the middle of the night. And what did Jesus do in the face of all of this injustice? He said nothing. Because God had laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he was about to drink to the dregs. The cup that the Father had given him. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And then listen to this amazing prophecy. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Wow. How did Isaiah know? Maybe the Spirit told him. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And why is this? Why is it the will of the Lord to crush Jesus? Because it's not his will that any should perish. Not you and not me. And so in order to make it so that we would not have to perish. It was the will of God to crush Jesus. God has put him to grief. Or as Paul says, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. And when his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And see, there begins the turn. And this is the reason why Good Friday is not a funeral for Jesus. He was at work. He'd rolled up his sleeves. He had a job to do. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And listen to these words. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and he shall be satisfied. Have you ever put in hard day's work? Or maybe worked on a project that took more than one day. Took a lot of labor, a lot of thought. Maybe a lot of trips to the hardware store. Maybe a few band-aids. A few bruises. But when it was done. When it was done. Did you not stand back and go, look at that. Look what I did. Doesn't happen very often for me. I'm a little more nerdy than I am handy around the house. But you know what I'm saying? We've all had these moments where we've put in a hard day. And there we are. We're probably still smelly from the sweat. And we're looking at what our hands have wrought and we're going, yeah, that feels good. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. You see, 
Listen again. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and he shall be satisfied. What the scripture says? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? Because he was doing his greatest work. And when Jesus said, it is finished, I like to think that he was on that cross and there was a little bit of that satisfied smile coming out of his mouth. It's finished. Yeah. What was finished? Your salvation and mine. And see, there he was. And to every commentator, no one saw this one coming. You think back to the election back in the fall of last year. Which of the pundits ever said that Donald Trump was ever going to be our president? Nobody called it. And yet, he's now the president. Well, I would tell you that what Jesus did is the biggest upset of all times, and it makes what Trump accomplished look like chump change. Because there he was, bleeding and dying, and everybody's thinking, this guy's down for the count, and he's dying, and nobody is going to be talking about Jesus in a few days. It's over. Done with. He lost. I would beg to differ, and so would Jesus. He didn't lose. By dying, he won. And you can almost see the devil and his angel hordes standing there watching and mocking Jesus as he's dying. And then just as it's almost too late, Jesus gets that twinkle in his eye and he goes, it's finished. And you can hear them go, oh, no. It was the ultimate Hail Mary pass, pun intended. Had to throw that in there. And he lands it in the end zone, and the victory is Jesus. You're saved. The devil lost. You're set free. You're forgiven. You do not have to stand condemned at all because he won and he did it for you. So out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and he shall be satisfied. Ha! A good, hard day's labor for the carpenter of Nazareth. And he's satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness. Brothers and sisters, that's you. You have been washed. Your sins have been forgiven. You have been united with Jesus in his death and his resurrection in the waters of your baptism. You have now been accounted, credited as righteous because he was accounted as the sinner. The great exchange has taken place. Oh, and if the devil knew what was really going on, he would have never permitted Jesus to die. Oh, what a fool the devil is. He only traffics in fear and death. So, he will make many to be accounted as righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death And he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a terrible and wonderful thing Jesus' death is. 
The cost is beyond estimation. The details are grisly beyond belief. It sobers us up. It makes us realize just how maddening and drunk we are on our own sin. And that this is no trifling matter. And yet, through that all, Christ gains the victory. He wins the day. And He does this for us so that now that we can stand before our Creator and our Savior, not covered in fig leaves. You see, we imagine that God is angry at us. He was. But Christ propitiated God's wrath. And rather than flee God in the nakedness and the shame of our iniquity and our sin and hide from Him and try to cover it with our fig leaves, God says to me, dear child, and He says to you, son, daughter, come here. Let me have those fig leaves. Let me cover you with some real clothes. Here's my righteousness. You're forgiven. You're bled for. You're died for. Do not any longer hang your head in shame. What a great gift. And there's not a penny I can pay to contribute to this. It is so amazing. It's almost too good to be true. But it is true. Your Jesus, your God and your Savior, has borne your iniquity, taken it to the cross, bled and died in your place, so that you can be accounted righteous. O Lord Jesus, never let us despise this great gift, but help us always to ponder it anew with each passing Sunday and give thanks to you rightly. Lord, it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. And we do not understand this kind of kindness. This is a kindness beyond measure. Help us, Lord, be this kind to everyone that we meet so that they can see your love in us, the love that you gave us by bleeding and dying for us on the cross. May we glory in the satisfaction that you have in this hard day's work that you put in for us. O oh, great and merciful carpenter, of Nazareth. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Fire Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by curious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.